0: As we begin our time this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we do thank You that we can gather this day, that we can worship You through singing and through praying and through the study of Your Word. We thank You that You have seen fit through Your wisdom and grace to mold us and shape us through Your Word, for it is absolute truth. There is nothing higher. you accomplish everything according to your purposes, according to your will. You have spoken, and your word is true. And so we are here this day to learn from you, to open your word, to rely upon it, to stand upon it, knowing that as we even heard this morning, it is our great hope For it speaks of Jesus Christ. Tells us of salvation in Him. The greatest gift ever given to mankind. And here we are as Your people, having received the gift, now being molded and shaped into the likeness of Him. So Lord, use Your Word upon us in that way. May Your Spirit impact us with an understanding that we would be more like Christ today than we have been in the past. May we not squander or take advantage of or assume upon the grace that You have shown us in Christ. All to Your glory, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and open them to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, a very familiar passage to all of us who have been in the Christian walk for any length of time. It is rather providential that we are here in this passage at this time of year because it is Christmas And in Luke chapter 2, we get some of the details surrounding why we celebrate Christmas. And that is because of the birth of Jesus Christ. I want to begin our time this morning as we normally do, and I, I want to read the text before us that we will be spending our time in. And then we'll just walk our way through it and and make and draw out some some truths about it that maybe we haven't thought about before. So follow along in your Bibles as I read for us beginning in verse 1 just to kind of help us with the context and read all the way down again as we did last Lord's day to verse 20. Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Corinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order that he might register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. It came about while they were there. The days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. and She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. At the same time, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people.' For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angel had gone away from them into the heaven, that he that the shepherds began saying to one another, well, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at these things which were being told them by the shepherds. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. It's a rather miraculous scene. I've entitled it the way I've entitled it because it seems rather unprofound, at least in how it is stated to us. There is not a whole lot of lights going on. There is not a whole lot of shininess, if you will, to it. It is rather unprofound and yet it is profound. And I trust as I read those verses that you were honing in through your own thinking and in your own mind on the main drive of this entire section. It's found for us in verse 11 where it says to us, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Never has there been greater words ever spoken. There have been a lot of speeches throughout the history of the world, many people who have claimed to be very great, and even those who have been recognized by the term great, and yet no greater words have ever been spoken to all of humanity than the words spoken right there in verse 11. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ. The Lord, never has there been more needed words to come to a lost and dying world than those few words just there spoken through the angel that had been dispatched by God himself. There has been no greater a need for all of humanity since the fall in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve than for a Savior to come to us. Why? Because none of us can save Himself. None of us have the innate human equipment in order to save themselves from the wrath that all people are under from the only Holy Creator God. None of us are equipped in any kind of way, with any kind of ability, With any kind of means to save ourselves, all have sinned and therefore all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are therefore children of wrath. We need to be saved or we will face eternal hell. We certainly don't like to think about that, but as Christians, we certainly remember that even at the fall, even in the Garden of Eden, God, in His grace, had graciously promised to send one who would crush the head of the serpent, and Adam and Eve disobeyed, after God had given them the command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you sure eat that, surely you will die. When they disobeyed God, when they chose to believe the lie of the evil one, as the evil one had tempted and spoken to them, saying to them, surely you will not die, God simply doesn't want you like Him. They believed the lie and they willfully rebelled against God and ate of the tree. And in that very moment, in that very moment, all of us enveloped in the loins of the first parents, Adam and Eve, mankind immediately experienced a spiritual death. Mankind immediately experienced a separation spiritually from God, which also within that ushered in an ongoing physical death that begins the moment of our conception. The moment we are conceived and life begins, life begins to die. Because of that, God righteously judged man. God righteously removed him from the garden. God righteously took him out of his presence. And in an act of unmatchless grace, in an act of mercy that none of us deserved, out of the divine expression of God's grace and mercy, God promises that He will provide one who would come one day and He would crush the head of the serpent. That this one would, who would come would, would vanquish the power of death. He would end the fear of death for all who would believe. And through faith in this coming one, there would be forgiveness of sin for all who would entrust themselves to this one to come. Well, here we are in Luke chapter two. Thousands of years have passed since that moment in the garden. And the time came for God to fulfill His promise in the fullness of time. And so He dispatches His angel. The text doesn't tell us like it did before it was the angel Gabriel. It doesn't tell us... Here, beginning in verse 8, who the angel was, most likely it was Gabriel, most likely it was the same one that was dispatched with the message for Zacharias and the message for Mary and Joseph. God dispatches this angel in order to give the greatest birth announcement that the world would ever hear. The promised one, the Savior who is Christ the Lord, has been born. My wife and I have a lot of friends around the country, many of them younger than us who are just starting their families, many nephews and nieces who are starting their families, and we, we always rejoice with them when we get a birth announcement in the mail and it's different ways in which they announce these things, especially with gender reveals in our day and time. And sometimes, if we're honest, when we hear birth announcements because we've had children, sometimes we just kind of go with a happy sigh. Not because we don't love children. We love children. We know it's a blessing from the Lord. But life is hard, isn't it? Life is hard. It's hard this side of heaven. Sin has affected everything. And we know, we know that another sinner has just entered into the sinful world. And oh, unless the grace of God shines upon them, they will be judged. And here is a birth announcement by which we all can rejoice. (laughs) We can rejoice with the reality that this one will be judged even though he doesn't deserve it, but he will be judged on behalf of sinners like us, this is such a profound event. accomplished in a humanly unprofound way. I, I, I spoke about it a little bit last lord 's day. God did not come to us wrapped in robes of royalty. Had He come and, and, and dwelt in a palace, that would have been an undeserved mercy upon us. But He did not do that. He did not come in that way. He did not come as my children came under the watchful eye of a team of health professionals who ensured that their health would be fine. He did not come that way. He, he was not born in the comfort of a nice home or a nice comfortable birthing room. None of that was good enough for our Lord. No. No, He was born in obscurity. He was born away from all of the comforts that might be afforded to most of humanity. God of the universe entering into humanity born outside in the cold among the barn animals of the day and His bed was a feeding trough. Surely, you ladies, if that was to be the place of birth for your children, you would say, wait a minute, I'm going to do a little research and see if I can find somewhere a little more comfortable. The greatest birth that has ever taken place on this earth. God becoming man is stated for us here by Luke in such an unprofound way that if we're not careful, we simply run by it and we don't notice it at all. We simply turn out like most of the people in that small town of Bethlehem, even that night who were going about the business of simply registering for the census, who knew nothing of what was happening there in that town except for the fact that Mary and Joseph are there and God is now with us. They knew none of it. The most profound thing that had ever happened in all of the universe, in all of the earth itself, as God had created it, had happened, and no one seems to know God actually became a man. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't just someone who appeared as a person. No. When God the Son took on human flesh and entered into His creation, He was a real human. Human. We cannot miss one of the grand implications of this entire text. We cannot miss this when we think about the Christmas time. We cannot miss it when we look at the nativity scenes and all the the little objects that, that we put there in our mind because of how it's been so commercialized. We cannot miss all of that. As we look at this this morning, when we read the words in verse 7 that she gave birth to her firstborn son, in that very statement, as unprofound as it is is, and as unprofound as it sounds to our ears, is the profound reality that God the Son placed the independent exercise of His divine nature... In submission to and therefore under the direction of God the Father, so that you and I, who sit here today and all who have gone before us in the faith, who believe upon Him, would be saved. That's what's happened. You cannot miss the point. When Jesus was born, He was born a real person, and yet He is still truly and fully God. This is the mystery of the God-man. Fully man, yet without sin, but nevertheless still fully God. Now, and that is simply not to say that He did not He did not give up. He did not give up any of his divine attributes in order to become a man. Well, we cannot confuse ourselves with that kind of thinking because that never happened. He didn't give up his divinity, and yet he became fully man in order to save man. In fact, here's how the Apostle Paul states it. Philippians chapter 2, God, Jesus Christ, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied Himself. How? How did Christ... Empty himself. See, we think of that sometimes. We think empty. Okay. He, he, he let go. He, he emptied himself of all of his deity. He is no longer deity. And that would be so wrong and so heretical to think that that is not how the emptying went. Notice how Paul says it in Philippians chapter two. He emptied himself. How? By taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Let's make no mistake about it. The incarnation of Jesus Christ was not an, an, an emptying as we think of the word emptying. His emptying was an emptying by addition. It was not an emptying by subtraction. It was an emptying by addition. He became man. So the simultaneous transaction of taking on human form was linked with His setting aside the independent use of His divine attributes. In other words, His emptying was not subtraction from Him, but rather it was adding to Him human form. In fact, had God not enveloped Himself even in human flesh, none of us would be able to look upon Jesus Christ. The glory of God... The full glory of God, like God said to Moses, you cannot look upon God and live. It would incinerate us if we saw the pure, holy glory of God before us. This is the mystery of the incarnation. This is all wrapped up in Luke's words here. So when Luke tells us that Mary gave birth... It was more than just an everyday birth. It was more than just your everyday run-of-the-mill baby being born. This was the God-man entering into the world. And what's interesting to me as I read all of this is who gets the first birth announcement? It's shocking, really. It's shocking, and yet it's refreshing. Because the first birth announcement goes out to the shepherds. goes out to shepherds. The eternal Word has become flesh, John said, and dwelt among us. But John said in John 1, The eternal Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the right hand of the Father. He has made Him known. Jesus Christ makes known to us God the Father. And when God the Father makes known to us Emmanuel with us, it's shepherds who are the first to hear about it. The text says in verse 8 and 9, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. You think? We get a birth announcement. We have great joy. Oh, this is nice. Look at this young couple. They're having children. This is wonderful. The families are expanding. Oh, that's great. These shepherds are going to get a birth announcement and the first thing upon them is fear. The shepherds are just out doing what shepherds do. They're, they're tending to the flocks. Historians tell us that these were most likely shepherds who were keeping the flocks of sheep who would have been used in the temple sacrifices. That's why they're not far from Jerusalem. Bethlehem's about six miles away. They're not far. They're between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. They're they're, they're probably tending those flocks. We can't be dogmatic about that. Historians seem to think that's the case, but it's interesting It's interesting that that God would announce to these shepherds about the birth, get this, of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here are shepherds tending sheep probably for the sacrifices and God is announcing to them, hey, there's another Lamb that you need to know about. It's the Lamb of God. That God the good shepherd, would make his announcement to earthly shepherds. We might think that at first, that the first to hear of this birth would have been those of some high position. You might think that the greatest birth announcement to ever take place on the earth, the one who was The Savior, who is Christ, would go to those who were the most religious. Those who had the most understanding of the Old Testament. Those who who knew the greatest amount of the prophecies about what God had said through the people of Israel. You would think that the religious leaders of the day would get this announcement, but that is not the case. God announces it to shepherds. I don't know anything more unprofoundly profound than that. In ancient times, shepherds were despised by the respectable people. Maybe you didn't know that. That was the reputation of shepherds during the time when Jesus was walking the earth. Their reputation was not very high in the eyes of the religious leaders. In fact, according to the rabbinical sources, according to the the history of how they used to conduct life, if there was a religious trial, and we studied the religious trial of Jesus Christ before the Sanhedrin, one of those trials you could not have shepherds give testimony in that kind of court. Shepherds were not allowed to give testimony to what took place. Why? Because they were of low reputation. They weren't known to be the most honest of people. Many just regarded them as thieves. In fact, the only people lower than shepherds in the eyes of most people when Jesus walked the earth were lepers. People who had to stay in colonies because they were sick. And when they came out, they had to tell everybody, hey, I'm unclean. Stay away from me. Shepherds were just a a slight rung above them. Why do I say all of that? Simply for us to understand that this would have been the most unlikely group of people you would think that would get this birth announcement. The lowliest of low... And yet here it is recorded for us. The angel stood before them. God says to his angel, probably Gabriel, Gabriel, I want you to go. It's time for Jesus to be born. I want you to go to, the, to tell the people, okay, Lord, who do I go to? Where is it I go? Should I go to the chief priest? Should I go to them so that they can start telling the people? No, don't go to them. Don't go to them. They won't hear it. I want you to go to shepherds. I want you to go to the lowlifes. I want you to go to the ones who people don't consider very lovely. I find that profound that it is to the lowest of people that God gives His birth announcement. As I was thinking about that, I thought, boy, that is very comforting, you know, to know that God came and announced himself to the outcasts, those who would have recognized their need. In fact, I find it comforting that Jesus called himself the good shepherd during a time when shepherds weren't highly respected. The Apostle Paul says this to the Corinthian believers in chapter 1, verse 26 and following, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many of might, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the thing and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man should boast before God. This was the shepherds. And yet in the shepherds, we certainly can see a picture of all of us, can we not? Through the gospel, Jesus has been announced to us, to the lowly, to the ones who need it, to the ones whom God by His grace has allowed to recognize the need Notice, notice in verse 9, there are three things happening. The angel of the Lord suddenly stands before them. And the glory of the Lord shines around them. And they are terribly frightened. The angel of God appears to them, the glory of the Lord encompasses them, and they are shaken to the core. Let us realize, beloved, as we sit here this morning, that's exactly how it would have been for us. We too would have been terribly frightened, as the text says. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that in some sense, in some way, when we heard through the gospel that we were guilty before God, that we were sinners, that were children of wrath, and we would be judged, and when our spiritual eyes were opened and we saw the glory of God through the gospel and our sin for what it really was, that we too trembled before God. I always marvel. I always marvel at these religious charlatans who say that they had Jesus just come and visit them at night and they had a nice little chat with Jesus. I always just marvel at that. Or some who even have the audacity to say that some person who has long been dead came back to life and talked to them. It's all rather nonchalant. No fear. They're supposedly talking to someone, some spiritual being who isn't part of our humanity anymore and they're not fearful. Listen, if you ever hear that, know this. They're lying. They're lying. An angel shows up and the only human response is uncontrollable fear. That's it. Why? Because we are not of that realm. And because we are not of that realm, all we can think about is judgment. All we can think about is judgment upon us. Remember what Gabriel said to Zacharias? The angel of the Lord, verse 11, appeared to him in chapter 1, standing at the right of the altar of incense, and Zacharias, oh, he just turned around, had a nonchalant little chat with the angel, and said, hey, what are you doing here, buddy? Don't you know this is the Holy of Holies? Don't you know I'm supposed to be in here by myself? I mean, come on, why are you here? No. Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. Now remember, he was a priest. He was the priest chosen at the time to go and offer the, the incense before God in the holy place. No one could be at a higher religious position than Zacharias at the time. And when he saw Gabriel, he could do nothing. He was gripped with fear. Chapter 1, verse 30, we see the same response. The angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. Now, why would he have to say that? Because Mary was troubled. She was gripped with fear, we could say. This is Mary. This is the woman who would carry Jesus in her womb, and she's completely afraid. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, it says he fell down as a dead man. It's no wonder that we read this about the shepherds. It's no wonder that when the text says they were terribly frightened, we go, yeah, That's the only response you'd have. And yet the angel has to say to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, guys. I I know what you're going through. Listen, if this is Gabriel, Gabriel has seen this in the last 15 months three times. Mary, Zacharias, Joseph. They've all had this trouble that he's had to say, oh, hold on, I know, I know, this is an odd situation, it seems to be, but don't be afraid. Why? Why does he say don't be afraid? Because, listen guys, this is the best news that you will ever hear. Don't be afraid. Pay attention, because I bring you good news of great joy. The Savior has come, the Savior who will save His people from their sins. He will save them from death and from hell, from the judgment of God Himself. I bring you good news. I bring you news of great joy because why? He will bring all who believe into the promised kingdom of God and into eternal glory with God. Could there be any more glorious announcement than that? There is no greater joy than to know that the Savior has been provided. There's no greater message that we can have for the people sitting around our tables this holiday season, coming to visit us as family and friends and neighbors. There's no greater message that we can have that we have the greatest message that is the greatest joy because it's such good news for all people. There is a Savior. There is forgiveness of sin. You can escape hell. You can go and be in the kingdom of God's glorious heaven forever. You can be blessed by God. the angel is saying, I bring you good news of great joy. Don't miss it. This was a gospel declaration. This was the gospel being preached. It was the best of news stories. And notice it was for all people. All the people. Something truly fantastic has happened. Salvation has come. doesn't matter who you are. All you have to do is simply believe upon Him. If you will entrust yourself to Him, if you will turn away from your sin, if you will trust Jesus for your eternal salvation, He will save you. There is no other name, Acts four twelve. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The name Jesus Christ. As I was reading that, I was thinking of Theophilus. Remember Theophilus? Let's not forget about Theophilus. That's who Luke is writing all of this to. That's who Luke is being such a fastidious historian about all the details and facts. Why? Because he wants Theophilus to know and he wants all of us who follow him to know with certainty that what we have been taught is exactly true and Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. There is not one coming. He is the promised Messiah. Notice what happens. Notice what happens in verses 12 to 14, and this was to be a sign for you. This will be a sign for you, for you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You notice first comes the announcement and now comes the effect. This is the effect. The shepherds are given instructions. God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to give them instructions. But He does. He graciously gives them concrete facts that they can use in order that they might confirm what they had heard. Suddenly, they're, they are surrounded by a heavenly choir. So, right here, right here at the birth of Jesus Christ, at the announcement of Jesus, is the first Christmas concert you'll ever hear. It's not being sung by humans, it's being sung by a heavenly host. In a moment's time, these shepherds have gone from talking amongst themselves about the mundane, right? They're shepherds staying out in the fields. or are keeping watch over their flock. Who knows what they were talking about? Hey, are all the sheep in the fold? They've gone from the mundane to being surrounded by a divine angelic choir. This is, in fact, great news. The text says that the angel that suddenly appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. We have to understand a multitude is not 50. It is not 100. It is not 10,000. A multitude is an uncountable number. An uncountable number. The sky is filled with a heavenly choir of uncountable numbers. Nothing like the birth of the Son of God had ever taken place before in the history of creation. I am quite sure, I am quite sure that not one angelic being missed this occasion. I am quite sure that when it says a multitude was there, that it was every holy angelic being in the heavenly host praising God. Every holy angel is singing and they are praising God for what He has accomplished. Glory! Glory to God in the highest and on earth! Glory to God in the heavens. Glory to God at the highest of places in the heavens that God has created. And glory to God on the earth, because on the earth there is peace among men with whom He is pleased. It was praise to God. At the same time, it was praise for the blessing that God was bringing upon man. As soon as the angels are done singing, I don't know how long it lasted. I don't know if it was like Handel's Messiah that seems to go on forever. I don't know if it was like that. It doesn't tell us. It just says they were singing. But when they are done, the shining glory that had filled the night sky is gone. And the shepherds are once again sitting there in the dark. Notice, notice what happens. Notice what happens when faith is exercised. Notice what happens when someone believes the gospel. As soon as the message and the song is over, they say to each other in verse 15, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go and see this thing that has happened. That's an interesting word the translators use there, thing. Let's go see this thing. It's really not the best word because the word there in the original language is the word rhema. the word rema is the word for breath or or word or something spoken an utterance by implication to speak a word so let us go straight to bethlehem then and see this this these let's see the words that were spoken to us Let's see the reality of what was said to us. It's talking about what the angel announced. Let's go see this thing. What? The Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's go see the Savior. In other words, they have believed it was an exercise of faith and now... All they want to do is be with Jesus. Now they want to go and be with the Savior who is Christ the Lord. They want to see Him. So verse 16 says, And they came in haste, found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in a manger. Ever think about how they found them? I mean, Bethlehem was a small little hamlet just a short distance from Jerusalem, but certainly by this time it was flooded with people who were of the lineage of David. So many so that Mary and Joseph could not find a place to stay. There was no room for them, it says in verse 7. They had to stay outside somewhere, as I said last time, probably in some kind of courtyard maybe where the animals were normally kept. There was no room on the inside. They had to find some little corral in which they could start a fire and there was a feeding trough there in which she laid the baby. But how did they find them? Did they go on door, door-to-door knock? It's late at night. It's nighttime. People surely would have been inside. Did they go around? Hey, did you have a baby tonight? Hey, did you have a baby tonight? Maybe they just went around looking at the feeding troughs. Certainly or they were shepherds. They knew where those would be. We don't know, but however they did it, they found Jesus. They left no stone unturned. In fact, they didn't waste any time. They went in haste and found Him. Verse 17 says, and when they had seen this, and they'd seen what? The thing. The word that was spoken to him in Human form, the Savior. When they had seen Jesus, what did they do? They made known the statement which had been told them about this child. God had done just as He said. Every fact, every detail, nothing was left to chance. God's in this. God's doing it. God's orchestrating it. He's the one who's doing it all. God sent his angel to them, God opened their eyes to see. God was the one who drew them to Himself so that they would believe and they in haste went to see Jesus. God is in it all. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8 to the Pharisees? Remember what He said? No one comes to the Father but by Me. No one. These shepherds couldn't even come unless God were in it. God is orchestrating it all. No one comes to Jesus without the electing power of God and no one can be in the presence of God without the righteousness of Christ. So what do these shepherds immediately do? What do they begin to do? What does faith do? Faith begins to share all of this with the others around them. When they heard, when they had seen this they made it known. They made known the statement which went and told them, hey, listen, you got to hear this. This child that we came and ran into you to see, this one whom, whom we found, we were searching through the town, we were told about this, we came to see, this is the Savior, this is Christ the Lord. Why? Why would they do that? Because they can't help it can't help it. That's what true faith does. It can't help it. True faith goes and tells others about it. It, 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 That's what it does. It doesn't stay quiet. It can't. It can't stay quiet. This is the greatest news that, that could ever come upon the world. It doesn't stay quiet. They have believed what they have been told. Their faith has moved them to go and to see Jesus and they want everyone to know the truth about Him. It's amazing. The first birth announcement. God is to come. The first Christmas concert, the angelic choir. The first evangelists. The shepherds. Here they are. Once they believed they couldn't contain themselves. Notice what happens. All who heard it wondered at these things which they were told by them. All who heard it wondered at these things. They wondered. Wondered another, another word that's just strange, isn't it? They wondered at it. Thumazo. That's that's the word. Thumazo. It, it means to admire. to have some kind of curiosity, have come some kind of admiration for it, to marvel at it, to wonder about it. Uh, they heard the good news from these men and they just admired it. They wondered about it. They pondered it. They thought about it. It was curious to them. But that was it. It wasn't faith. Mary, Mary treasures up what they had said. Why? Mary locks it in the box. Mary Mary takes it in and and owns it. Why? Because she was a believer. She was a believer. She had already believed. Others were just curious about it. Ah, we see this every year, don't we? We see this every year. We go through the... The Christmas story we talk about at the holiday season, we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, with hordes of people. And many just leave curious. Many just leave wondering, thinking, oh, that's, that was nice. What a nice concert that was. Weren't the lights pretty? Wasn't it wonderful to be with people? Just wonder about it. Don't believe. Here we are. Here we are this morning. Here we are this morning. Just that reality, that, that very fact ought to be a warning to all of us. It ought to be a warning to us that when it comes to the reality of Christmas, when it comes to the holiday season and the birth of Christ, it's not enough. It's not enough to just hear of Jesus. It's not enough to just hear about him and and think about the birth of Jesus. It's not enough to have our interest peak so that we look at the manger scene and we and we say, Wow, isn't that just beautiful? It's not enough. What a great Christmas scene that is. The truth of the matter is that if God himself had decided to orchestrate and duplicate the birth of Jesus Christ every year in the same way that he did it this very night with the shepherds, the truth is that unless we have entrusted ourselves to Jesus Christ, we still will be judged by God. That's the truth. Because the shepherds came believing. Many others who saw this just wondered. They walked away. Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem on that night, must be born in our hearts. He must be born in us. We must be born again. One commentator put it this way. He said, quote, religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the living Christ, is a humanly paved road to eternal darkness, unquote. God the Spirit inspired Luke to say these words to Theophilus. And therefore, He inspired Luke to say these words to all of us so that we would not miss the point. The Savior is for all who would believe upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God who came to earth was born in human flesh. He lived in the flesh. He died in the flesh. He was resurrected as immortal flesh. And now he lives as glorified back in the presence of God the Father. Verse 20 sums it all up by saying, and the shepherds went back Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard, all that they had seen, just as it had been told to him. That's what happens, isn't it? That's what happens. You hear the truth, you believe the truth, you tell others of the truth, and then you go back to living life as a new believer. As someone who now has been commanded by God to share the truth. You go about glorifying and praising God for all that you have heard, all that you have seen, all that you have been told. Oh sure, the activities of life seem to be the same, but we are different. We are not the same. We have been changed there's a massive difference between the shepherds of verse 8 and the shepherds of verse 20. They are not the same men. They are doing the same job. They are watching the sheep, but they are not the same men. They are now glorifying and praising God for what they have been told. They went back, yes, but they went back as changed men. They were Reflecting exactly what the angelic hosts had done. They were praising God and glorifying God. Why? Because true faith changes us. It changes us. We are not the same. And God... Because He has changed us, because we are now His children by faith in Him, we are commanded to give our full allegiance to Him. He demands it. There are no greater words ever said to us, beloved, than there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let 's pray father what what a privilege it's been to just to reflect upon this moment certainly, certainly, we could just spend days and months just in this very text, uncovering and hearing the sounds and smelling the smells and looking into the eyes and watching the actions of all that were there that day. And yet, even through it, it's here, it's recorded for us that we, like Theophilus, might have certainty and know that what we have been told, what we have been taught, what we have believed is absolute truth. It is right. There is salvation in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the Savior. Christ the Lord. We have believed because of Your mercy and grace, and now we want others to know. Lord, help us to battle the human fleshly temptations to be quiet, to not share a word. Help us be proclaimers like the shepherds. Help us come to share with others all that we know about this one. That others might not go away as those who wonder, curious, that they might go away as children of yours. Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for becoming man so that we might have a way to be right with you. Lord, bless our day this day unto your great glory and to the praise of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.